You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Hello. Yeah, said uh, said there, um, John. I'm the. I am currently the the operations manager of uh, the Pioneer Network in the UK. A bit of background on me. I'm married to Tanya. I have. We have four children uh, together, um, and. Um, we were just saying actually last night we'll be we'd have been together thirty years in August, so it's it's it's, it's a long time, and um, yes, and 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 we have a, a dog as well, uh, which is quite annoying. But um, I spent twenty years in the oil industry. I used to run an oil refinery, and uh, then I left that to move into church ministry, and I I was the associate leader at Hope Church for just over three years over the COVID pandemic so God's timing you know it's great no, I mean seriously actually I did feel all the way through that it was this case of God kept on saying to me you know that the words from Esther is such a time as this and uh, I felt that during that time it was very necessary I was there so also while I was then uh, in that job I studied the wonderful um, subject of missiology which I like, and I've got a master's in missiology, and if you're old enough, you should always uh, age people by their jokes. I've got an ology, so it makes me a, a scientist, I think is what the old um, advert used to say. But anyway, so I'm, uh, the study of the history and science of Christian mission, and so I love mission. I'm a missiologist, and uh, so I've actually, it's one, something I'm, the thing I'm speaking to you about today here as well is great, because I see this, this, is, this is missional what you do and what the church should do as missional but the, the expression of of doing this in a new way for yourselves that excites me okay so yes and so today I did want to talk to you about a rather large subject which you may think doesn't affect you but I personally think you're perfectly in place to have real influence and what I want to talk to you today is about the, the future of the church in this generation which I've been at the Wildfires Festival over the last um, week. Um, uh, if you've heard of it, it's run, uh, started by 24-7 Prayer in organisation with other um, church groups, and they're praying for revival in this generation, and they have these amazing times of worship, and they do it actually in conjunction with big church festival so they have that and then they have wildfires and um have some fantastic speakers and they are they're talking about where the church is going it involves camping i'm very tired because i've been camping for a week you don't rest when you're camping i don't really understand it because it's uncomfortable it's cold it's noisy it's all horrible things but it's been a fantastic time because actually this is the discussion that's going on in the church today, people are asking this question, what's the story for now? What's God doing now? What's God saying now? So I'd like to start by reading from the Bible, from Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. 
No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And that's the, the crux of, of the verse, actually, I would focus in on today, is on that verse 22, where we say, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. We want, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Um, whenever I teach or read the Bible, I don't ever, and I just don't agree with it, I don't like to take, oh, just take this verse out and we'll sort of wave it about as something, right? Context is, is, is essential uh, in Bible teaching, I think, in, in Bible reading. We can all practice it. We can all practice looking at, if you read a verse, what's gone before, what's gone after? That's a nice, simple way of starting. What's happening? Why is this being said? So that's where I always start. So we have here this, in, in Luke it calls it actually, because this, this is a story, or this happening, occurs and is recorded in Matthew and in Luke and here in Mark. And in Luke actually it says, Jesus tells this parable. And then he says the same thing. But it's a saying, an allegory. It's Jesus doing what he does best, which is painting a picture for us to be able to share something. He's amazing at it. I love it. I was speaking to someone yesterday, the power of stories. It's Jesus was brilliant. <laughs> so the fact that actually this verse was in, uh, this story is in Matthew and Mark and Luke. When God's repeating stuff, take notice. You know, this, this, is, this is told again and again. So I think highly significant um, what is going on here. So Jesus is actually responding to a question about fasting. Why don't your disciples fast? Under the law of Moses, Jews, or before that, Hebrews, Israelites, but Jews this time, they only actually had to fast once, once a year on the Day of Atonement. That was it. But under um, tradition... And as the years had gone by, it was actually seen pious Jews, as I said. So, you know, if you're a nice holy Jew, then you fast on Mondays and Thursdays every week. So it's gone from once a year, being what God asked, to being this tradition of twice a week. Jesus didn't hold to that. Doing something because it's always been done is not Jesus' way. I don't think it should be our way. As I said, they're about working in an oil refinery. One of the worst things that would happen is that somebody would come in and they'd say, why do you do that? And we would say, because we've always done it that way. And it was seen as the most scary answer going because it was like shocking that nobody had thought to ask why. Nobody had thought to say, is that the right way of doing things? It's just the way we've always done it. Jesus isn't about that. That's not the way he lived. He's not just saying, you know, he is about, well, this is really important. Fasting is important. But this isn't about just, oh, we've well, built a nice tradition around it. My first point for us all today in the context of the future of church is we are not to do things just because 
that is the way we've always done it. Uh, William Barclay, I, I like to read a lot of Barclay if I'm preaching, because he, 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 he's another guy who's great at uh, painting pictures. He, he does some great examples of things. But anyway, he says, there comes a time when the day of patching is over and recreating must begin. He's talking about these verses when he's saying that, and he goes on to say that if we are really to rise to the height of the Christian challenge, we must retain the adventurous mind. I'd say, I'd say when it's, I'm quite excited to be here, because part of what you're doing is retaining the adventurous Christian mind, okay, and stepping out in this new church. Martin Luther, John Wesley, so many others that have followed, you know, have come to points where they could no longer patch things over, but were brave enough to take the new wine they were carrying and pour it into new wineskins. So um, I keep on saying new wine and new wineskins, but I actually want to just dig a little bit deeper on that. You can see why she doesn't like him. Um, so I, I, I think it's interesting just the way my brain works. Something I always do uh, if I'm speaking, I just very easy nowadays to Google uh, a Greek-English linear Bible. Yeah, you don't need to be a great scholar to do it. And you can read and you can look through and see, oh, look, this is the word in the Greek, this is the word in the English. Just do it because it's always amazing what it throws up. I, I love it because it's like, ooh, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's in, this, in this here we see, I keep on saying this word, new wine, new wineskin. It says new. New wine, new wineskin. In the Greek, they're not the same words. It's not... It's not new, and well, it is new, but it's two completely different words. It's neos, wine, and kainos, wineskins. So, that's great, isn't it? So why is that? I wonder. So that, that's the thing, that's where it goes, isn't it? So neos, in the Greek, this is it. What is neos? Recently born, young, youthful, all describing myself. New, recently revealed, what was not there before? Um, if you were to talk about being born again in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians or in Hebrews, that actual neos, that's the word we're using. We're born again, absolutely fresh, brand new, clean. Amazing, isn't it? So then we have this word, kainos. It means recently made, fresh, unused, unworn, of a new kind, unprecedented, uncommon, unheard of. Fresh in development or opportunity, like it's not found exactly like this before. So actually, the way it's described is neos is new in time, and kainos is new in quality. So it's almost like like here is here is something new, and it needs a a, a, a vehicle of newness to take it. And I thought about how to just give an example of that um, a little bit more. And I was thinking of one of my favourite films, which is Annie. <laughs> and people are always surprised at that, but it's okay. Uh, the sun will come out tomorrow. It's a great biblical concept. I love watching with my daughters. And anyway, got to go with the original. There's, um, there's, there's a scene in that, uh, Daddy Warbucks, he buys the Mona Lisa. It's near the and he says... Oh, the man's, oh, I hate it, he says, get rid of it. 
And then he walks away and he says, actually, there's something about her smile. Put it in my toilet. And I think of that. I think of that something beautiful, amazing, this, this piece of art and someone hanging it in a toilet. So when I'm talking about Neos and Kainos, I'm saying actually there's something new and beautiful. We need to put it in its right context. We don't hang it in the toilet. This is a Neos moment in the church right now. It's happening. I'm seeing it happening. One of the wonderful things I found in my job is I get to speak to lots of church leaders which is nice, and I've different organisations as well. And it's been really exciting to see some real new things that God's doing. I don't know if any of you heard, you can Google it afterwards, but this, this incident in a place called Asbury in the United States where they had a 16-day worship meeting. Sometimes I don't know if that doesn't sound very good, but in this context, it was this, this case of the young people at the end of this of their their lunchtime chapel service decided they didn't want to go and they started praying together and then they started worshiping together there was no preacher up on the stage there wasn't a worship band every now and again somebody would get up and lead them in a song 16 days and didn't slow down people just kept on coming kept on coming god is doing a new thing i honestly believe that revival is happening that, that we have something really amazing going on at the moment god is pouring out new wine and we as a church have to work out what our kinos response to that is do we see this new opportunity and are we able to be led to respond to in new ways to what god is doing now so that's it god is doing a new thing that's good it's not what we we're doing before so what and why, I always like, are very important questions. That was quite a good one. Tanya here, she likes something called um, Greatest Hits Radio. Does anyone know Greatest Hits Radio? I can't stand Greatest Hits Radio, but Tanya loves Greatest Hits Radio. Greatest Hits Radio only plays songs from the 70s, 80s and 90s. So Tanya loves her 80s music, so the fact that if they're playing the 80s, then she's, she's made up. I like Planet Rock, as you can see, that's the way I am, but Planet Rock. But one of the reasons I like that is because, you know what, they will play the good old, you know, they'll play some classic rock there. But you know, they'll play something new as well. They'll play new things. I would struggle to listen to Radio 1, because it generally plays new music and I wouldn't have a clue what was going on. I believe a lot of churches right now and for a long time have become greatest hits radio. They're stuck in, but the old ones are the best, the way we do it, the way we are, the way we were. We know what we are doing. Thank you very much. We don't need to change anything. There are some, like My Planet Rock, the old is good, but we like a bit of change. But how about the Radio 1 churches? There doesn't seem to be many of those around. New wine will not fit into greatest hits radio churches. I 
I believe the revival that is coming is for the Radio 1 churches, but I still think there is a place for Planet Rock. Okay? And I'm saying that allegorically as well as really. I actually think that COVID was an opportunity for churches to make that change. But many did not take up that invitation. In Acts 27, we read about Paul's shipwreck on Malta. I'm just going to read the verses 42 to 44, because I think this is very important for this time. So they've been, you know, been pushed around the Mediterranean for a while in storms, and they haven't eaten, and, uh, uh, you know, Paul's on his way to Rome. He's, in, he's actually under arrest and the rest of it. Big old boat, loads of people going on, and they're a bit stuck. And it says... Um, the soldiers planned, they, sorry, they came across this little bay, and they can see there's a shore, and they're getting close to that. So they said, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship, in this way, everyone reached land safely. And that's important. That's where I'm going here. Just, just bear with me for a minute. As well. Remember, this is Paul being arrested. But he's taken on this ship. He's got all these people. And he's taken responsibility, really, for these people. The ship's going to go down. They're not eating. They're starving. They need to get to shore. But what does he make sure? He tries to make sure that everyone gets to shore safely. I believe the plan for the church right now is that everyone is able to be part of what is happening in the church in a new way moving forward. The challenge is getting everyone there safely, which is going to involve a lot more patience and grace for some, but it's also going to involve using whatever tools there are at our disposal. The church at this moment in the UK is at a critical moment. Now, when I was at Wildfires, one of the amazing things was seeing the, the youth is actually one of the important things about wildfires is there are what is the next generation bringing what is the next generation doing had an amazing moment there when the, the lead Pete Gregg of 24-7 he stood up in stage and he said I believe there's some young people in here have been told they can't they were leading worship and they've had it robbed of them they've been destroyed they've been had that taken away from them and they had this big gas street band if you're a gas street church sim users up there leading worship and and he says if that's you down there, I want you to come up there. You're going to lead worship. I think that takes some guts. <laughs> but also, it's about stepping forward with this generation and saying, freedom. We, we trust you. We want you to move forward. We want you to be free. We want you to be the ones leading our church forward. This pressing thing, there's a guy called Ken Costa, and he shared that for the first time ever in the UK church, there's less than 100,000 children who attend church, are part of a church. Less than 100,000, that's just absolutely dropped. This is a critical moment for the church. And we've got a generation to inspire, to bring forward, and we're only going to do that if we understand that is part of the situation. We need to change. How do we change? I'm not just going to leave you there.
I believe that needs to be down, how we change needs to be down to individual churches and people within their own context in how we respond to what is around us. It's great to hear what you're doing. I love the fact of having a stall at a beer festival. That's right. That's what's going on in this community. So, and, and that's great. I love it. There's, um, we, we're getting, we need to maybe learn more to think outside of that box. There's a wonderful fellow called Alan Roxburgh. Fantastic author I like if you want to, you know, one of those people you can look up afterwards. Alan Roxburgh, he wrote a book called Missional Map Making. And he talks about actually find out the story of your community. What's their heart? What's their story? And try and dig into that a bit more. And he also talks about doing something different. Doing different is actually very, very hard. I had done an experiment with my friends when we were talking about this. Okay, that's all right. I had done an experiment with my friends and I said to them, uh, we were in a pub and I said to them, how would you do pub differently? And the first thing one of them said was, well, we could move the bar. And I said to him, why do we need a bar? Because actually, you know, it's like the next thing, oh, we could do something with the seats. Why do we need seats? Whenever sometimes we think about doing something new, we actually, <laughs> we just swap things around a bit. Doing something new actually means doing something new. That is difficult, but worth investigating. It is hard. But in doing so, here are my three foundations that I suggest any churches or Christians can work from. I know you're going to be particularly happy with one. But my three are hospitality, authenticity, and discipleship. And all of these are sacrificial ways of living. That's the bad news. Great fruit, but it's going to involve pouring out. So, be hospitable. Um, I was at a, um, I was at the annual leadership conference of Pioneer, which I was actually running it, but um, with, with these two actually, and that one, um, uh, in March. And there's a wonderful there guy there called Patrick Dixon. Someone else you can look up online afterwards if you want to. He's a futurologist, and he comes with all these different facts and figures. And he said, in a wonderful thing he said in his talk that he gave at the conference was, um, people like Christians they don't like church and he had all the facts and figures to back it up if you come in contact I'm sure I'm hoping you've got friends who aren't Christians they probably like the fact that you're a Christian I know I've had it throughout my life even be strange I said in oil refinery and I'd have somebody come up to me and say to me you know um, now you're a Christian John just this thing that's going on in my life you know would you man, mind sending, you know, sending something up to the man upstairs for us, please? You know, something like that, because people respond. Or they, they, they do. They want to know. Actually, they like the fact that people are Christians. They like Christians. Church. They tend to associate with all sorts of unfortunate negative press or anything that has gone on in the past. So we have this little bit of a challenge, don't we? We are the church. <laughs> We're Christians. So. There's sort of a divide there that we need to sort of help people over. And the, one, the way we do that, I believe, is in hospitality. The way to yeah, open up in our homes and our lives to those who don't know Jesus 
And actually doing that with each other too is so important. But once again, if we go to Jesus, we're following Jesus. In the book of Luke alone, it records 10 different meals that Jesus ate with different people. This was big and, you know, you know you've know, you read the Bible. It was always, you know, the Pharisees, the religious coming along and going, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? Yeah, and Jesus like, he said John was demon-possessed because he didn't do any of that stuff and you're calling me a glutton and a drunkard. But it's this thing that Jesus, so important for him to get alongside people, to eat with people. There's something about eating. You know, so it was good. Once again, very relevant. Next week, you're doing your nice uh, non-lunch, as Tanya pointed out. And so it's this case of uh, eating together is good. And that's one form of hospitality. It is about opening up our lives. Be hospitable. Be authentic. I know that probably sounds easy for yourselves. Be authentic. We do real. That's the first thing you say out there, and I love that. We do real. Now, this is literally yesterday. I was speaking to my dad uh, on the phone about a... Um, a friend of ours, and he was telling me about his dad, because it was a funny story from his youth, which I'm going to share with you. It's, this guy, when he was younger, he went to church with his mum, and he said, I'm going to be a Christian. And so he looked around, and he thought, well, how do I become a Christian? I'll do what these do. All right, to become a Christian, you mustn't smile. And so that's what he took. True story. He went to school and he went to school the next day and his friend came up to him telling him a joke. He said, don't tell me a joke. I'm a Christian. I don't smile. He eventually found out the truth, which is really good because his son has made, as well, has made a phenomenal difference in the world. But um, you can understand where we come from. I've been to churches which are the opposite as well. Hi. I call it the Christian fine. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. We're all fine together. You know, that's not authentic. Neither is authentic. Meaning we've got to be nice and somber in the church. Or act a certain way. You know, you've got called to be ourselves. You know, I've heard it said, you may have heard this, you know, church shouldn't be a gym. If I go into the gym, I look at everyone else and think, maybe not. Because they're all, uh, you know, whatever. And I'm like... Yeah, it, it doesn't good. Church, is, church should be like a hospital where everyone's a doctor and everyone's a patient. We're all in need of something and we all have something to give. We're all real. Jesus has set us free to be ourselves. <laughs> you know, he's calling us out of ourselves. He's not calling us to be something fake. One of the things that I believe attracts us to Jesus Christ himself I don't know if any of you have seen The Chosen. If you get an opportunity and watch The Chosen, it's a fantastic and not particularly biblical um, um, dramatization of the life of Jesus. But one of the most greatest things in it is you see this Jesus who is so relatable, so approachable, so personal. The amount of times I just cry during it because, you know, this, this is the Jesus I know. You know, so if I'm to be church, if this church is to grow, we are following Jesus, then I want to be like that. That when you come into contact with me, you're meeting me. Not some picture of me, not some facade of me.
by the way, that's not, not always very pretty when we try doing that as church. But it's probably very necessary. And I also believe it's something that the world is desperately crying out for today. They're looking around and what's authentic, what's real. We are. We can be. So, and lastly, disciples. We need the disciple. Unfortunately, I've heard from different churches and I've seen it myself once again in my position. Maybe I should get a different bowl. It doesn't bubble. Anyway, I've heard from different churches, I said, and I've seen this in case, was unfortunately that during COVID, I've seen uh, quite a few young leaders and quite a few, um, yeah, youthful, youth fall away from church. You know, I was in church beforehand, and you had this great group of young people really running and thriving, and you came back after COVID, and loads of them had gone. And one of the things I started asking questions about that, and so did others, was there seemed there was an incredible lack of discipleship that had gone on beforehand. And unfortunately, I know I've been part of this. I remember um, when I first joined church, we, um, sorry, the church leadership of Hope Church years ago, we said, we're going we're gonna to get 20 people this year are going to make a decision to follow Jesus. And you know what? We did it. Woo. But you know what? I think about that and it's like, how many of them are still following Jesus? I'm not sure I could tell you. Jesus called us, Matthew 28. It went, great commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Not go and get them to say a little prayer. And, I, and I'm being, I know it sounds harsh, but making the decision to follow Jesus, that's great. We celebrate it, hallelujah, come on. And then we need to pick people up. Because they have no, <laughs> you can't just, there you go, run with it. It's not the way it works, not once again the way that Jesus did it. I know there's a, there's a fellow called Chris Vallotton speaks at Bethel Church. He, but he tells a story of he became Christian during the Jesus movement. I don't know if anybody knows what that was. But, and I think they're making a film about it actually coming up. But um, the Jesus movement in the 60s. And what they did, loads of young people, it was across student campuses and, and colleges and schools where loads of people became Christians. It was radical. It was fantastic. And he turned up to this meeting and... There was a meeting in, it was just somebody's house, and nobody, not everyone could fit in, so they put speakers actually on the windowsills, and people just sat on the grass outside. And this guy delivered a message, and he said, does anyone want to become a Christian? And like those people, you know, they did, and he did. And he went up to the leader, and the leader, he said, he said that he was about, himself, he was about 20, he said, and the church leader was 21. And then the guy says, like, oh, you decided to become Jesus, uh, become, yeah, follower of Jesus. He said, yeah, he says, right. Oh, he said, Greg, come here. And he calls this other guy over and he says, uh, he's about another year older than him. And he says to him, right, this is your spiritual father. And he says, and this is your spiritual son. Go off. And just in that moment, in that doing that, created, you know, put them two together and he was able to, you know, learn to grow, to be discipled, just dropping people into this Christian world 
can be a bit scary. I've been there. I remember becoming a Christian. Me and Tanya um, uh, decided to follow Jesus. Um, she was first. Uh, she want me to point that out. But, uh, <laughs> but the point was, um, and I remember we became Christians. I've got this huge, I've got this family history of Christianity, but I just went and done my own thing for a amount of years. And then I came back to Christ. And I said, after Tanya. And um, and we were both, you know, we're in this church. And generally it was, oh, right, oh, John, Tanya and Christians. Whoa. Three months later, they said, oh, you can lead the youth. We had no idea what we were doing. I still mentor one of those young people. And actually, there's a couple of those we still mentor, which is quite nice. But one of those young people I mentor, and just a couple of weeks ago, he said to me, John, you were so angry. I was a real mess. But it was like, oh, well, John's become a Christian. He can lead the youth. It's not how we do it. We take people under our wings. We need to show people a different way. We need to, it's those other two things. We need to be authentic. We need to be hospitable. We need to open up our lives. We cannot just be happy with people making the decision to follow Jesus. We need to spiritually disciple. Paul made a model of it with Timothy. It means giving of time and resources. It means giving of ourselves so that people can grow and thrive. It is something that's so necessary now. Once again, you have a generation rising up and they're saying, how do I do this? How do I just do life? We've got a desperate need for an awful lot of spiritual parents, grandparents. You're needed. So in conclusion... This is a time, I said this just uh, uh, before church to, to Nigel as well, I do believe this is a time for a whole church movement, a holistic church movement. This is not, and I'm saying this might be a bit ironic, it's not about the guy standing in front of you. This is a, this is a time when we talk about Asprey and that, it was actually young people just in the floor. This is, this is about how, what the church does now. This isn't about the big leaders anymore. It's about, about a movement of us all being part of what God is doing now. It's going to be an adventurous time of change that God is calling to us into. We're being called to do something different, something new. We need to change. And part of this is that we are being called to live out our lives more and more sacrificially than ever, sharing authentic lives with others, leading people relationally deeper. And God is pouring out new wine. The question is, what will, you know, what will any of our new, new wineskins look like? Thank you.